This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 again. The title of the message is The Day Jesus Went Missing. Have you ever um, lost one of your kids, like at the mall or something like that? And you have any of that? Some of you have had that experience. Okay, great. I don't feel so bad. <laughs> of course, I have five, so it's easy to lose them. But when we only had two, when we only had two, uh, Ruthie and Ezra, um, we we lost. I had a, a moment where I was responsible for looking after Ezra, and he went missing. So let me just tell you a little bit about this. So um, it was a nice summer, sunny summer day. Julia decided she wanted to go for a walk. Ezra was about two years old, or maybe one and a half, something like that, in that zone. Um, Julia said, I'm going to go for a walk. You look after the kids. No problem. So the kids are in the other room playing, and I'm doing dishes or something. And uh, about 10 minutes passed, and I decided I better go check on, on uh, the kids, make sure everything's all right. So I went in the other room, and there's Ruthie playing. And I said, Ruthie, where's Ezra? I, said, I don't know, Daddy. Okay, so then I look all over the house, no sign of Ezra. So I start to get a little worried. I go outside, I look around the house, no sign of Ezra anywhere. Where's this boy gone? Um, and then I see him coming down the sidewalk on the other side of the street, coming down the sidewalk on his way back home. He was out trying to find mommy on her walk, and he's wearing only a diaper, no shoes, no shirt, no pants. Yeah. Uh, so that was my moment, my big moment when I lost one of the kids. But he came home, he found his way home, he didn't find mommy. And uh, yeah, eventually I did tell Julia what happened. But if you've ever done anything like that, misplacing a child, you can relate to the feeling of horror that washes over you in that moment. It's like this panic, this horror, what has happened. Have you seen the movie Home Alone, right? And the mom, she's on the plane, and Kevin! She realizes, well, I was forgetting, I know I forgot something, what was it, what was it? Did we leave the lights on? Did we forget to close the garage doors? What was it? And then, it's Kevin! Oh, we forgot Kevin! This moment of horror. Let me tell you, if that's you, if you've done that too, you're in good company. Because even Mary and Joseph lost Jesus one time when he was a boy. And we're going to talk about that. We just spent several weeks reading the Christmas story, this idyllic picture with the shepherds and the wise men and, and the angels and this silent night and this baby with no crying he makes, apparently. I don't think that's true. But this, this beautiful little scene, this manger scene, we've had this story. Um, and then comes the real-life experience of misplacing a child. It's an interesting story. We read it in Luke 2. And it's wedged between the nativity story and the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he's 30 years old. So this true story of Jesus when he was a boy at 12, uh, being misplaced by his mother, Mary, and his adopted father, Joseph, it's the only account that we have of Jesus' childhood in the scriptures. Uh, so let's read it and talk about it and then make, take some lessons from it. So this is Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 41. And I'll, I will take actually breaks as we go along to explain what we're reading. Okay, so verse 41. Now his parents, <clears throat> and when we say his parents, uh, we know Joseph wasn't Jesus' physical father, but he did become Jesus' adoptive father. So he, Jesus did look at him as his parent, as his father. Uh, so now his parents went to Jerusalem every year 
at the feast of the Passover. So this was in the Jewish law that all Jewish men were required to travel to Jerusalem three times a year for the big festivals, the big feasts. The fact that Joseph and Mary went, and Mary was not required to go as a woman, but she went annually anyway to Jerusalem with Joseph for the Passover is a sign of their piety and devotion, their commitment to Judaism. So they were a, a devout couple. That's one of the reasons why, that's why Luke made them the point of telling us that so that we know they're devout Jews. All right, verse 42. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. The story takes place when Jesus was 12. This was a year before he would have been required to go at age 13. Age 13 is bar mitzvah age in, in Israel. Now, they didn't do bar mitzvahs in the time when Jesus was there. That was a later tradition. Um, but uh, age 13 is when you get bar mitzvah. That's when you become a man. And you now become uh, obligated to follow the, the law and, uh, and uh, you know, do the rituals and all the things that the, that the men do. So when we, when we were in Jerusalem this summer, um, we actually we were at the Wailing Wall. We were in, we were in the... Temple Mount area, and there were several bar mitzvahs that were happening on that day. Actually, if you go to the next slide, here's a video clip of one of the bar mitzvahs that we saw happening. Just get the music on there too, please, the audio. for parties happening all over the place. It was so it was fun to see that. Uh, so uh, so but Jesus, when he went to the temple, he was 12 years old. We saw a little 13-year-old boy there. Jesus was 12, and uh, he so he was there early before he was required to be there. And again, this is a sign that uh, that Jesus was and his family were very devout. He wasn't required to be there, but he was there anyway, even at age 12. Um, Maybe even to prepare, to um, get some experience, to see it firsthand, so that the next year when he'd have to do it, participate in it, he knew what, 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 was, what was happening. Again, there are all signs that Mary and Joseph and Jesus were a faithful and committed Jewish family. Let's go to the next, next verse, 43. So this is what was happening. And when the feast was ended, so the Passover was all over, and as they were returning, going back up north to uh, Nazareth, where they came from, uh, through Samaria, towards Nazareth. Nazareth, The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. All right, so how could this happen? This is quite a thing, to go a whole day and, and to not have your son with you. And Let me explain a little bit of the scene so you can kind of understand. Mary and Joseph weren't bad parents. Um, 
when they were traveling, they would travel in these large caravans. And oftentimes, the men and the women would travel separately. The men would often be up at the front, and the women in the back with the, with the children. Um, and so they were traveling in a huge caravan, because they had to travel in large caravans for safety purposes, because uh, they, would be, they were traveling up through Samaria, which was, which was a, not a very safe place to travel with the Samaritans. In fact, there are recorded, Josephus records in his history of, of Israel, uh, violent clashes between pilgrims traveling from Jerusalem uh, up north through Samaria, and people were killed. Like, so they traveled together in a big group for safety purposes, and the men and women often were separate. So um, probably what happened is, is uh, Mary thought Jesus, he's 13, he's up, he's 12, he's up with the men, you know, he's up at the front, he's being a man, they, she thought he's with Joseph and, and the cousins and the aunts and uncles, and Joseph probably thought the same thing, oh, Jesus is with Mary and the women and the children, um, and so that's probably what happened, or if he wasn't with them, he's with somebody, cousins or aunties or something, um, and so they get, they travel a full day's journey north, and then they probably, they set up camp for the night, and they get Mary and Joseph come together and say, ah, yes, uh, so uh, you have Jesus with you, right? Uh, no. <laughs> I thought you had Jesus with you. Uh, no. And then they go and they search all over the place and they can't find Jesus. So that's what happened. Um, and then, then they turn around and they make a full day's journey back. And we're not sure how many people turned around and went with them. Maybe they, we split up and some people went back and some people kept going. We don't know that. But it says in verse 46 that after three days, they found him in the temple. Now it doesn't mean that it took three days looking around Jerusalem to find Jesus. That means that the first day of that three days was the day that they left, the full day's journey. The second day was their full day's journey back to Jerusalem. And then the third day was the day they found him in the temple. And where did they find him? Again, he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, he, was at, he was at the temple. He wasn't at the arcade. He wasn't at the pool hall. Uh, he was at the temple. That's cool. Some kid. He was at, he was at Bible study. Um, so let's, it says, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, for some reason, when we... Some of you, I'm sure, have heard this story before, and I think a lot of times when we, we read this story, we, we picture in our heads this scene of Jesus teaching the teachers, teaching the rabbis, and showing them, you know, what's what, and, and, they're, and they're amazed at his teaching. But it doesn't actually say that. Um, it says that he was learning from them. He was more of a student. Uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't the one doing the teaching. Uh, it says, let me read it again. They found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So uh, that was the main thing that was happening here. Jesus was being taught. And he had a remarkable level of understanding. And yes, he was also contributing answers to the discussions or the teachers would ask questions and he would give answers. And they were impressed with him. Um, now, we might get this image in our head of Jesus teaching at the temple. Uh, and teaching the teachers because of a, a false, uh, uh, a false gospel uh, called the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. Right? This is a this is a, a later ancient document that came along in the second century that was written by we don't know who that uh, tells a whole bunch of of uh, fanciful mythological tales about 
about young Jesus. And it's like, if somebody just came up with some creative idea of, let's write some stories about some of the superhero things that baby Jesus did. And you can read this infancy gospel of Thomas. It's interesting, um, you know, stuff about Jesus, uh, um, you know, raising people. His friend, you know, dies when they're playing, and he raises them from the dead uh, so they can keep playing, stuff like that. It's interesting. Um, and in the, in the infancy gospel of Thomas, when he's 12 years old, he's, he is teaching the teachers at the temple, and, and he's wowing them, and they're all dumbfounded by his amazing ability to teach. But that's not actually what happened. We can trust Luke's account. Luke's account, uh, he, takes, he takes the effort actually in the beginning of his gospel. If you turn over to Luke chapter 1, Luke says right at the beginning that he's undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me having uh, also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught so Luke when he sat down to write his gospel he made very a very strong effort to be accurate to uh, to listen to eyewitnesses uh, to go to original sources uh, and to write an orderly account and so one of the ways that we know Luke's gospel is true is because accounts like this, where Jesus gets lost in the temple and he's, and he's, uh, and he's being taught, and it seems very normal and very possible um, that it could have happened, whereas the infancy gospel of Thomas blows it up into this big, over-the-top, exaggerated thing. Um, so Luke probably sat down with Mary and uh, herself and said, Mary, tell me some stories about Jesus. And she told him this story and they said, oh, I'm going to put that in because that's a really good one. Um, all right. And Mary probably said, no, not that one, please. <laughs> he said, oh, the Holy Spirit's inspiring me, Mary, sorry. <laughs> all right. So... So they, so they find him in the temple being taught in like a small group Bible study kind of setting in the temple, listening to the rabbis. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished, surprised. Oh, there he is. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. What are you doing, trying to kill us here? Come on, you're going to have a heart attack. They were the very natural human response to their son being missing. And he, Jesus, said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? You should have guessed that you would have found me at the temple. He longed to be in the place of worship. What a kid. Right? This is quite the kid. Um, I mean, and, and I think he, he got that from his parents. We saw they were very devout uh, in, their, in their faith. And I think there's a lesson here, a little side lesson from the main lesson, that parents, we have an important role to play in instilling in our children the importance of being in church, the importance of being in under the teaching of the Word of God, a love for the church, a love and desire to be active with the church, when having to choose between the arena and a worship service uh, that we choose church, when choosing between a field and a youth group event, when we have to choose between uh, sleeping in or serving on a Sunday. Parents, lead your families to prioritize the things of the Lord. And I think that Mary and Joseph did that with Jesus. And so when they're gone, where is Jesus? He's at the temple. He's, he's not off doing something else. He's at the temple. All right, so that's where they find him 
verse 50, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and uh, to, with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. He submitted to them. The king of the universe was submissive to his mom and dad. That's pretty cool. And, he, the, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. All right. That's our story. Now, what can we take from this? First of all, I would say that this event, this episode, this true story, this thing that really happened, first of all, it causes us to think about Jesus' divine and human natures. Jesus had both a divine and a human nature at the same time. He was 100% God. He was also 100% human. And it's highlighted in this passage um, in verses uh, 48 and 49 when Jesus, uh, when they find him here, and it says, uh, his, his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. She calls Joseph his father. And then Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So, so here we see Jesus, he's got two fathers. And he doesn't say that to Mary in a malicious way. He doesn't say, that's not my real dad. Uh, no. But we, see, but we see this interesting interplay um, between two realities, right? At a young age, he's able to recognize that even though Joseph is his adoptive father, his true father is God the Father. And it's interesting to wonder and, and to think about his two natures, his divine and human natures, and how they existed in him simultaneously. Like when he was a boy, there were some very deep things that he seemed to understand instinctively. And yet, it says in verse 52 that he needed to learn and grow. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that he emptied himself in the incarnation. So he was still fully God, but in becoming fully human, he willingly chose to empty himself of some of the divine attributes. So his omniscience, for example, his all-knowing his all nature, the ability to know everything, was one of those things that he willingly chose to surrender in becoming a man. As he grew up and began his public ministry, there are times when it does appear that Jesus is omniscient, right? When he seems to know things that other people don't know. Uh, like the woman at the well, and, you know, and he, he says, uh, you know, you've had five husbands. Well, did he know that because of her reputation? Or did he know that because of some divine knowledge? It's not clear. But there are times when it seems like he knows things that other people don't know. But then there's other things where we realize that he doesn't know everything. For example, um, in, in Matthew 24, Jesus says that the Father alone knows the time when he's going to come back, when Jesus is going to return. The angels don't know. He says even the Son himself doesn't know the time when he's going to return. That was before his resurrection. So maybe now, post-resurrection, he does know that. But nonetheless, we see this interesting reality that it seems at times that, that Jesus had superior knowledge, and then in other ways, there was a limit to that knowledge. And so there's this interesting, we see this over and over again, this interesting interplay between his human nature and his divine nature, and how do they work together, and it just causes us to think about that and to wonder about that as we read this story, right? He's, he's 12 years old, he's learning, he, he, he's, he's growing, uh, but also, 
something's different about this kid. There, there's things that he knows. There's, I mean, he's at the temple, and, and he's, he's listening, and, he's, and he, they're amazed at his answers. So it's interesting. Uh, there's an ancient creed. It's from in the 500s. It's called the Athanasian Creed. And it talks a lot about uh, the, the divine nature of Jesus. And, and, and uh, it says this in one part of it. Now, this is the true faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and human equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time, and He is human from the essence of His mother, born in time. Completely God, completely human, with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards divinity less than the Father as regards humanity. Although he is God and human, yet Christ is not two, but one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God's taking humanity to himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of his essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as one human is both rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and human. Now that's a lot of stuff to try to process after you just had Christmas dinner. Um, so I get that. Uh, but if that's something that interests you, man, I think this is really, like I, this stuff fascinates me. And, and this is an ancient creed of the church. And it's beautiful. Uh, I encourage you to do more study on Christology, more study on stuff like the hypostatic union and how this all works. And you can impress your friends at dinner parties with big words. Um, but also, I believe that you know, the more you learn about this, the, the closer it draws you to Christ and the more, the more it causes you to wonder and amaze at all, at, at all the, of who he is. So this story, for me anyway, I don't know if it does it for you, but as I read this story, it, makes, it causes me to wonder about, about the divine nature of Jesus and his human nature and how those work together. This, this story also shows us Jesus' commitment to learning the scriptures, as we've already talked about. Uh, again, he could have chosen any, to do any number of things in Jerusalem without his parents around. Uh, again, Home Alone, right? Kevin McAllister, he, his family goes, and, and, and he says, I made my family disappear. And he's so excited, and right, he runs around the house, and he's jumping on the bed, and he's eating all the junk food. Like, you know, if you, if you lose your, a lot of kids, you know, if they, if they, get, if they get alone, they're going to party. This is great. What does Jesus do? He goes to Bible study. Uh, he seeks out a Bible study. He listens. He asks questions. He contributes thoughts to the discussion. Quite a kid. And this should be a commitment that all of us make. Hey, if boy Jesus can do it, grown up you can do it too. To love the Word of God and to get together with others to study the Word of God and to understand it. This is a good thing. Number three, this story assures us it's okay to not always understand. I love this here. Let me just remind you of what the end of what we read this morning in, in Luke 2. Verse 50. So Jesus says this stuff, and it says, they, Mary and Joseph, did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. They, they, they couldn't make sense of when you're talking about my father's house and all this stuff. They just, they, they couldn't understand it all. And, and he went down with them to Nazareth and so on. And it says, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. So, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. 
They didn't quite fully get it, and I can relate to that feeling. There are times when I come to the scriptures, even the, the, thing, the teachings of Jesus, and I come to these things and I go, Lord, I don't understand. Anyone else can relate to that? You come to the scriptures and you go, yeah, I don't really fully understand that. Or this part here seems to go against what this part over here says. And like, sometimes it's hard. It's hard to understand the scriptures. There's times when I come to God in prayer and I say, Lord, I don't understand. Uh, there's circumstances in life that make me turn to God and say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on here. And that is okay. That's okay. Some people want to get it all figured out, and I get that. They need answers. Uh, and their lack of understanding prevents them from having faith. You know, this whole Trinity thing. Someone asked me this morning about the Trinity, trying to understand the Trinity. Uh, this whole Trinity thing, I don't get it, you know. And, and, and until I can make sense of it, I'm just going to remain outside the camp of faith. You know, I need to fully understand that before I can take that step of faith. And to this person, uh, if that's you, I say, you don't have to understand it all. In fact, you'll never understand it all. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus didn't understand it all. She couldn't make sense of it. But the wonder of it is part of the beauty of it. The wonder of it is part of the beauty of it. I don't want to worship a God that I can fully understand. I don't want my God to be small. My God is big. That's why I worship Him. I love the, the, the majesty and the mystery of a God who is incomprehensible in his greatness. I treasure the wonder of Jesus. The inability to understand God fully shouldn't lead us away from him, but it should draw us to him. It's like those wise men. They were drawn. They couldn't help but go and pursue him. Out of wonder. In, in one verse it says, Mary did not understand. She didn't understand. And in the next verse it says, she treasured up all these things in her heart. And I love that picture of not understanding, I don't get it, but treasuring it in her heart. Donald G. Miller says this, he says, when truth is not clear, do not cast it off. Hide it in the heart and wait for fuller light. It's absolutely possible for faith and doubt, for trust and confusion to coexist in the heart and mind of a Christian. Faith, next slide, faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the presence of belief. Think about that for a moment. I'm just going to let that sit so you can think about that. Because that's good. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It's the presence of belief. Jesus uh, talked about faith the size of a mustard seed. And he talked about that as a good thing. Hey, if you've even got faith the size of a mustard seed, man, you're going to be able to do wonderful things for the Lord. Now, if you imagine a mustard seed in your hand. Just look, just look at your palm of your hand for a second and imagine a tiny little mustard seed in the palm of your hand. As you look at that little mustard seed there, 
compared to the palm of your hand. There's a whole lot more palm than there is seed. And if you imagine that the palm of your hand is doubt and confusion and uncertainty or circumstances that cause you to question things and whatnot, but you've got that tiny little mustard seed in there. Jesus said, that's enough. That's enough. And there's days and seasons in our life when that's what it feels like. When maybe there's a whole lot more doubt or questions than there is faith and certainty. Maybe my faith feels pretty small. But Jesus says, that's enough. It's not the size of your faith that matters. It's the presence of it. It's not the size of your faith that matters. It's the presence of it. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It's the, doubt. It's the presence of belief in the midst of all that you're facing. So, so be like Mary, right? So Mary... You know, she didn't understand it all. I'm sure she, you know, she could have spent another couple of hours with those angels asking questions. Okay, hold on a second. The, this baby is going to be born. What? Like, hold on. Wait, I need, I've got so many questions. I've got a whole list of questions. Uh, and, and then Jesus at the temple, what do you mean your father? I mean, I don't understand what you're talking about, Jesus. Like, really, this whole thing is such a mystery to me. Uh, but she doesn't understand it, but she does treasure it all, the wonder of it all in her heart. It says in the, in the nativity story that, you know, after the shepherds come and all this stuff, it says she treasured up all these things in her heart. And here again, the same phrase after this encounter at the temple that she just treasured up all these things in her heart. Uh, she didn't understand it, but the, but she, the wonder of it, she remained faithful and she, she maintained her faith in the midst of all that and remained faithful in obedience to the Lord as we saw earlier in the story, how they were a faithful family, serving the Lord, worshiping, doing what they're supposed to do, even in the midst of all the questions. So this story, let me wrap this up. The story teaches us a great deal. First of all, if you misplace your children from time to time, you're not a horrible parent. That's great. You can say, hey, Mary and Joseph did it, so... Um, but... It also causes us to think about Jesus' divine and human natures and to wonder about that. I love that. And as you read through the whole Gospels and the narratives of Jesus' life, you can just see this over and over again, this interesting interplay between his human nature and his divine nature. It's so cool. And it also shows us Jesus' commitment to learning the Scriptures. He could have been doing any number of things without his parents present. And he chose to go and sit at the feet of rabbis and learn. That's beautiful. And it also assures us that it's okay to not always understand. So let's take this with us today, something to reflect on, something to give us peace, to stretch our thinking, to hopefully change our actions, and to draw us closer to the God who loved us enough to come and be with us and even die for us. Amen? Amen. Amen.